Give you a little ear massage there. I hope you're having an amazing day. What's up, you sexy bastards? It's your boy, Earl Gray, a.k.a. Rabbi Can't Lose, a.k.a. Noah Kagan. In today's episode is part two of my ayahuasca story. If you haven't read or heard part one, check it out at okdork.com slash aya. That's okdork.com slash A-Y-A. You'll learn about the worst night of my life and how it ended with me being in the fetal position crying. Yeah, it's, it's pretty nuts. So part two today is the first half of my conversation with the shaman who did my ayahuasca ceremony. I wanted to learn a lot more about him. His name is Zach Poitra, and so he's a guy who quit his career in finance, moved to the jungles of Guatemala, and now takes people on ayahuasca journeys. He's done over 5,000 of them. I hope my son turns out like him. I really do. This guy's awesome, and he's a very introspective person, and I loved hearing his story and sharing it with you. You're going to learn more about him at ayahuascafamily.com. That's A-Y-A-H-U-A-S-C-A-F-A-M-I-L-Y.com. That was a lot of A's. Quick disclaimer, I don't condone ayahuasca. Don't do drugs. Stay in school. Do your own research, yada, yada, yada. Just be smart. I don't encourage you to go do this. Be at your own risk. All right. In today's chat, we talked about how this guy went from working in finance, so working just in a regular job, just like yourself, to giving up everything to do meditation retreats. Number two, what goes into making the ayahuasca ceremony so powerful? This is something that if you're trying to improve yourself, what are things you could do to make things really impactful? So I didn't believe in a lot of this woo-woo stuff before I went, and it was really interesting to hear his perspective. And number three, the downsides of ayahuasca. You'll learn about those three things and a bunch more. Enjoy. What's up, amigo? Hey, man. When you're at a bar, and I don't know if you actually go to bars, and someone's like, oh, what do you do? Yeah. <laughs> we'll just be pretty coy about it and say, oh, we run retreats. And then people are like, oh, what kind of retreats? Meditation retreats, which is true because on these longer retreats, we do a fair amount of guided meditation, that sort of thing. So then we might say, yeah, we actually work with ayahuasca as well and get into it that way. But shaman's kind of a misnomer anyway. It's a word from Siberia that just kind of is a catch-all for Anyone who connects in with spirit or works with plant medicines and does healing work is a shaman. But in Latin America or in Peru specifically, they would say curandero. They even say medico, which is like doctor. And they will also say ayahuasquero or palero, which means someone who works with trees. We do a lot of work with trees in addition to ayahuasca and so forth. So we tend to really approach that question carefully because otherwise the response is, they don't know what to say, or sometimes they just get a little too excited. <laughs> and we just say, oh, yeah, we run retreats. Oh, is that what you have on your LinkedIn? Oh, LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good question. I don't even think I know how to log into LinkedIn. I, yeah. Did you think you got into ayahuasca because you had some trauma? Because a lot of the people I met, including myself, had some form of self-imposed or actual trauma in their lives. Yeah. So I was curious, did you have something for yourself that triggered you wanting to get to ayahuasca? Or what was your story before becoming a shaman? Yeah, so before I was working as an institutional stockbroker, working for a boutique. Boutique is a code for small, small investment bank. <laughs> and was doing fine and had all of the trappings of that sort of lifestyle, making what would be considered very, very good income, living a lifestyle of traveling a lot, going out constantly. I mean, it was in my mid-30s and having very good short-term fun, but ultimately dissatisfying. 
And there was a point in, I would say, 2008, where it's just like, man, I don't know why I'm not happy. I have everything that society is telling me that I need to be happy. And it was at that point where I started doing like weekend self-help workshops to some success. I smoked a lot of pot, drank a lot of booze. I was probably depressed. One thing that was pretty helpful and I continue to work with today is I went to a Vipassana 10-day silent meditation retreat, which is super intense meditation, and came out the other end of that with a meditation practice, which helped. Without question, it helped. And then I came across the article in the Adventure National Geographic where it was somewhat unusual because the author actually went into an ayahuasca retreat and participated in ayahuasca retreat, which usually most journalists just want to observe and then write about what they see. They don't actually get involved. So it was unusual from that standpoint. And she's also going around to hotspots where war was going on and atrocities were going on. And so I think she probably had some trauma and maybe even PTSD from that. And it helped her immensely. And upon finishing that article, I was almost immediately like, I want to go do that. And 2009, I went down to Peru for a 10-day retreat where there were five ceremonies and we did a what's called a tree dieta, a shamanic dieta, combined at the same time. And absolutely mind-blowing and worked through a lot of issues around past relationships, family, and just overall perspective around life. For someone who doesn't have any clue about what a ceremony looks like, could we walk through that? For me, if I never had any experience with it, I would be like, okay, you're sitting in a room and maybe there's a drug and you got cured. Mm. What happens? And then how did you have these breakthroughs? Yeah, those are very logical, intuitive questions that are very hard to answer. There are so many different shamanic lineages that work with ayahuasca. You have all of these different, mostly traditions. Some are totally brand new and they all do ceremony in a very different way. So I wanted to point that out first. But in our ceremony, we have everybody circle up in our lineage. We always do ceremony at night because in the dark, it really facilitates two things. One, it facilitates the visions. And two, it removes distraction from what else is going on in the room with other people and so forth. We gather up around sunset and everyone's in a circle. We do a grounding or somatic or embodiment meditation, we guide you through this to get you into your body. A lot of the times, particularly that first night, people are a little like nervous and they're like, oh, super nervous. Yeah, particularly first timers and even people with experience. And so we want to get people out of their head into their body and relaxed as much as possible. Relaxation in this process is absolutely key. The more we can do that, the easier it is. Once we go through that, then we take the medicine the ayahuasca, and we sing Icaros. Icaro is a medicine song. When we sing into the medicine, we're clearing out any negative energies that may have accumulated there, and we're also infusing that medicine with more medicine that we have charged as facilitators in our body. So we're trying to amp up the medicine. Once the Icaro has been sung, we have everyone come up one by one and receive their dose. And it's at that point that one will spend some time with the medicine, kind of sit there with the medicine and maybe say a prayer, maybe put forth their intention. And then when they're ready, they lift the glass up and say, salut, and then they shoot it back. 
when you drink ayahuasca, you drink it like a shot of tequila. You don't want to sip ayahuasca. It doesn't have a consistency nor flavor that anyone really likes. Once that is done, we turn off the lights and we run through yet another meditation that takes maybe five, 10 minutes. And then from there, we start singing. We are singing essentially all night long. There is an opportunity to drink more medicine about an hour in. If someone wants to wait a little bit longer, from that point on, we say the bar is open. You can come up and have more <laughs> ayahuasca throughout the night. In fact, we have what we call a nightcap towards the end of ceremony. We, people will come up and say, oh, I just want a little bit more. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But something that is, again, not so traditional is we've brought in singing mantras as well. Jess, my wife, grew up in what's called uh, Kashmir Shaivism, which is a Hindu path and that focuses on Shiva. And so she grew up learning all of these Hindu mantras. We mix those in as well. Then towards the end of ceremony, we do what we call ventiada. Some other people might call it limpieza. It's where we call people up to the altar and we sing an ikaro specifically for them. The way we describe it is we're cleaning out anything that may be remaining and we're also sealing them up energetically. When we sing that ikaro, all of our focus and all of our energy is on the person being sung too. And once everyone has received their ventiadra, then we close up ceremony and say, hey, thank you very much for coming. And we thank our teachers and Buddha, Jesus Christ, and all those people. And now the work is closed. <laughs> As I said before, other people will do things differently. The third night where I really got insane visions and had a major breakthroughs, like, how does it actually work that the music plus medicine click? And then how do you describe it to someone who hasn't done it? Because Yeah, it's ineffable in so many ways. Yes, there can be visions. And sometimes I'm at a, like well over 1,500 ceremonies. And there will be nights where it's not very visual. And it'll be mostly somatic. Like, I'll feel it in my body. I'll feel it working through various blockages and or just feeling really good in the body. And sometimes everything will just be crystal clear, which is a vision in itself, right? That space of void or pure awareness, it's this ineffable, holy shit feeling that, wow, and I can't describe it other than words like void and so forth. And then on the other end of the spectrum, I can be just immersed in visions of all these geometric patterns, colors that don't necessarily form any Thing describable, but it's there. Then I've been in situations where it's full-on visions, like there is Mother Ayahuasca and she's talking to me, or there is my son Bodhi and he's smiling at me. And it depends night to night is completely different. Do you remember the visions or stories that you experienced when it finally happened? Yeah, it was dancing Hindu gods. And it was before we even knew the names of the Hindu gods. So in retrospect, I don't think I can remember specifically if it was Ganesh or Shiva or what have you. But they were dancing and they were getting down. I mean, and then I think on that second night, I also saw an Egyptian palace and lots of rainbow colors and feathers and very Egyptian-like theme. So it was totally immersive and beautiful. It was amazing. What were some of the breakthroughs that you had for your personal life? Because those sound like nice visual images, but I'm also curious from like self-improvement and you weren't happy with work. Like 
what things did you see or realize or recognize? What ayahuasca does is she goes through and cleans out one's energetic channel. So if you look at, say, Chinese medicine or Ayurvedic medicine and what the yoga philosophies talk about, they talk about all these channels of energy in the body, and they can overlap with some physical channels as well that are recognized by science. But if any of those channels are blocked up, the contents get putrefied. And what she does is she goes and pops them open such that they're flowing as they should. And when the energetic channels, nadis, meridians, however you want to call them, are flowing as they should in those Eastern systems, that is when one feels good. And that is also when one feels more connected. Everything is open. Therefore, I can feel what's going on around me, both with other people and also the energy in the room is just much more open. And when we have that connection, we feel more connected with everyone, but we also feel more connected with the divine. And that feels good. And when we sit in that open and connected space, we tend to worry less. We tend to be less reactive in a negative way, but we tend to take things slower and look at things in a very pragmatic and helpful manner. After one retreat, it may be noticeable, but it's not like this, oh my God, now I'm enlightened after one retreat kind of experience. I was going to say, speak for yourself. (laughs) (laughs) You talked about cleaning out the energies. I think if I never experienced it, I'd be like, yeah, whatever. Okay, I'm going to hit pause. (laughs) Like, what's the next show coming out? Like, let me see if there's something about real self improvement. When you say energies, it's really that it brings up stuff that you've been harboring or holding or has been painful that you haven't thought of in a while. It brought us stuff about my dad. It brought us stuff about my relationship. It brought us stuff about my work. Like, not stuff I was expecting to even be brought up about my mother. But I think it brought up that hard stuff. And the second half of your experience in the night is like, then it's like, well, let me fill my energy back up with positive things. And I think what kind of trips me out now as I say it out loud, I journal. I journal and I have friends and I've gone to therapy. And, you know, I went to Israel and I had a lot of relatively deep discussions. But this experience goes to the root. Yeah. I don't know how it found it. It found like root stuff and it was painful and it brought it right to my face. And I don't know if I would have ever gotten this in any other way. Good therapy, maybe over years and years and years. But there's a saying that one night of ayahuasca is worth 10 years of good therapy. The West, we tend to be very much in the head and very intellectual about everything, which is great. This is what we're good at. But what we really don't realize is that all the stuff that's going in our head also connects to stuff in our body. You know, you talk about those traumas, those things that have happened in the past that we're holding on to. Not only are we holding on to them in our head, but we're holding on to them in our body. And that's something that ayahuasca is quite unique in, I say her is ayahuasca, her approach to the process is she goes through and you can feel a physical response through this process. And she's opening that up both in the body and bringing it forth into a visual thing in your mind. And that is very unique. I mean, LSD can have somatic or physical stuff going on, mushrooms a bit more, but ayahuasca is just like full on, we're going to the root, which is held in the body, and let's release it. And that's the tough part. And then once that stuff is all cleared out, then you can have a direct relationship with ayahuasca. And it's like, oh my God, this is unconditional love. 
get that gunk out of the way and then you get to start experiencing unconditional love and that's just a beautiful thing well i paid you know let's just say a thousand dollars we did three nights with you and it was like three hundred dollars a therapy session you know that's pretty good deal (laughs) (laughs) for life-changing therapy we got a good deal it was like a groupon yeah the value prop if one is willing to go through the entire process is significant i don't know a better deal out there I thought it would be easy. I thought it would be like, you know, okay, go in there. Maybe I'll puke in the bucket. Maybe I'll have a little bit of like some trip, like acid, and then I'll be cured. But it kind of made me remember that your growth comes through hard times. And it is hard. It made me wonder, in your opinion, who do you think should go and use that medicine? And then Mm -hmm. what kind of stories or results have you seen? I think those who are sincere in wanting to work with the medicine and wanting to do some personal work, that's definitely something that we look for. We do our best to kind of vet out people who are just in it for the experience because that can go well, they can be surprised, but it can also go sideways pretty easily because they can be surprised about how much work it is. Those people who are sincere and feel the desire to go do this work. I would really encourage people who have done it not to try to talk other people into it, but rather share the experience, share some of the benefits that one sees through the experience or post the experience. And one probably, in our experience, the realizations continue for some time, at least a week after. Those who are working with traumas, PTSD, depression, those are all areas that this can be helpful with the understanding that it is not a magic bullet and that it is not a take your aspirin and come see us in the morning kind of thing. (laughs) It involves at least 50% of the work is done by the individual and 50% by the medicine And I would argue it's a higher percentage of that work done by the individual. We refer out to other people who are either specialists in addiction and or work with Ibogaine for addiction. Ibogaine is a much better medicine for addiction. But ayahuasca can be helpful. In order for it to be helpful, you need a lot more time. You had asked about some transformations that we've seen. I worked with this guy from Finland, young guy, 19 years old. We were in Peru at my camp, which at that time was La Familia Medicina, and he came for two months, and he shows up, and he's this frail, looks like a wind would blow him over kind of thing, and he was essentially shooting up everything he could get his hands on, amphetamines, MDMA, anything that you could put in your vein, he was doing it. He had already gone through the detox process, but he showed up, and he was just super pale, and he wasn't taking care of himself and weak and a fair amount of fear going on there. And we worked very intensely for two months. And he, one of the best quote unquote patients or students we've ever worked with, because he would do everything we told him to do. He would listen. He may bitch and moan the whole time, but he would do it, right? If we told him to stand on his head for 20 minutes every morning, he would do it. We didn't do that. But he paid really good attention and he did follow the instructions. And By the end of the second month, he came out of the bathroom and he had shaved and cleaned up and everything. And he looked so bright and strong that I didn't recognize him. I was like, what? I thought he was someone else (laughs) completely. And he never got back into drugs. He went home and became a kindergarten teacher. And he got very involved in his own spiritual path and became a stand-up diesel member of society. 
um, Mr. Clark on Stranger Things, Randy Havens, he came down to Peru back in, I want to say 2012 or something like that. And he was doing some bit acting in Atlanta and he went back to Atlanta after the retreat, started to get more famous. Every time he came to us several times, both in Peru and other locations. And every time we get more and more famous. <laughs> and, you know, obviously got to the level that he's at now with Stranger Things. We talked about it, and he said that what he felt was going on was ayahuasca was allowing him to be more authentic. That's kind of a trap that actors and people do in life, is that they start to put on some sort of facade, a mask, if you will, that hides their authenticity, but they think that's what people want to see. And that can work in some contexts, but not for very long. It's kind of a temporary fix. And people find out that, oh, there's something going on behind this mask that just doesn't feel congruent with the mask. So the work with ayahuasca, it tears that mask down, sometimes easily and sometimes with a fight. <laughs> but once that mask is removed or as it becomes more and more transparent and, and less prevalent, the authenticity of the person comes through. And I think it really helps in business it helps in relationships, obviously, and everybody is looking for authenticity. It's such a rare commodity that people, when they see it, they're like, oh my God, I want that. They're just drawn to it, like moss to a flame. <laughs> we see people come in to retreat with a mask, and we watch that mask come off, and it's not pretty sometimes, and then we watch them walk out with a totally bright, shiny, new, authentic face. Yeah, I, w I was pretty startled. Those are great stories. I was startled when we did the day after like circle where we talked about what we experienced. But there's people who hated their job because they were killing animals and they didn't want to do it. They're the person who molested the person who had a trauma at five years old because of their parents. And I was surprised how much it's brave of them to face it because that's what the experience does. It throws it right in your face and like, hey, this was hard for you. Mm -hmm. And then it helps you think about how you're going to work and make life better for yourself. Yeah. My friend was joking that Elon Musk goes, and he's like, what's the next thing I could do for human civilization? <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, you can come with stuff like that. But you know, one of the guys I was with, he wanted to understand what consciousness was. And so in his experience, he lost his body, his soul left yep. his body. And he went and found out what consciousness. and now he believes in God. He wanted to find out what love was. He had some connection with his parents and his upbringing. I wasn't a believer. I even wrote in my journal about like, this is a drug and all those shamans are addicts. And the final night towards the end, I'm like, it is medicine and you guys are guides. It's a crazy responsibility. And I'm curious from your perspective, you're seeing people literally, they're out of their minds, number one, mm -hmm. but two, they're also at their most vulnerable. Like if you came over to me and said, Noah, you must eat bananas twice a day, otherwise you're never going to be happy again. Like there is a chance that like I'd be eating a lot of bananas. Yeah, it's no joke. If you're looking at drinking ayahuasca, be really careful who you choose to do it with. And there are some people in this work who don't have the best intentions, are in it for the big pitfalls in pretty much any type of spiritual work. It's sex, money, and power. These are the pitfalls that come up all the time, whether it be with plant medicine or without. So yeah, it's important to be careful who you're working with because you are, as a participant, in a vulnerable space. And it's hard. 
One, I would talk to the person who you're going to be drinking with if you can and talk to particularly their participants. After they work with this person, are they more independent or are they more reliant on the person they're drinking with? If they're more independent, then that's a good thing. And if they feel like, oh my God, I got to follow what this person says and I don't know what's going on, so I'm going to ask them. No, 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 no. Is their guide teaching them how to work through their stuff on their own and do their quote-unquote healing on their own, that being personal, emotional, and, and psychological and spiritual stuff on their own? And if that attitude is there, then great. That's a huge thumbs up. It is a big responsibility, and we do our very best to not try to interpret people's experience as they share them. They're sharing them in the space and they're pouring their hearts out as to what happened and also what's going on in their lives. And some shamans will try to say, oh, this is what's going on. You need to do X, Y, and Z. We don't do that because people oftentimes don't like to be told what to do. If they do like to be told what to do, that's not a healthy place to be coming from anyway. It's always much more powerful if they come to their own conclusions as to how to look at things. So we'd be like, hey, you might look at it this way. You might look at it this way. This is what this famous teacher has said about this similar situation or this perspective. But yeah, that's a very good point about the responsibility. It's big and it's scary. And we do our best to keep ourselves in check. And we do take it very seriously. Literally, it's life-changing. The amount of breakthroughs that I had in three days, it's literally unimaginable. Two specific things experience-wise was number one, and just to highlight your point, you're on a mat by yourself. And I think a lot of times we're looking for drugs or we're running away from things like myself, like I'm avoiding it. And it's like you are looking at the most honest mirror you're going to ever see. Mm -hmm. And either you'll see it visually or your mind will come up with it. I think as we're talking about it, I'm imagining that a listener would think, dude, this is epic. Like they should just put it in a book and I could read a book about it, which it's not the book. It's like you have to go and face this. I guess what's some of the downside of it? It almost sounds like it's the miracle cure. Well, so the downside can be expecting a miracle cure and walking in with, oh, I'm here, drink ayahuasca, ayahuasca is going to heal me. And the downside of doing the medicine itself, their medical conditions like heart issues and high blood pressure and so forth, that you just are dangerous. And if one has a background in their family of schizophrenia or psychosis, they shouldn't be doing it because it might trip that. That's a possibility. There are a couple of studies, one out of Spain, which is a 14-year study that probably by now is a 16-year study, where their conclusion is ayahuasca is, as long as you don't have any contraindicated conditions or taking any medications that would be contraindicated, it's really good for you. It's really healthy, both psychologically and physically. And the Brazilian government also did a similar study, not as long-term, but they were trying to determine whether or not to legalize it or allow the Santo Daimi and Uneo de Vegetal churches to use ayahuasca. And during this study, they came away saying, yeah, this is great. All the markers of the ayahuasca drinkers were much better than standard population, much better, significantly better. So much so that, don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure that some of the government officials ended up joining the Santo Daimi church (laughs) because they hung out with them for a long time and they saw what was going on. They were just like, this is great. Why is there a problem here? Some of the downsides that can happen is... If you're not guided carefully by the facilitators, it can lead to ego inflation, particularly around, I don't know if you've ever heard the term spiritual materialism, 
Mm-mm. It was essentially like, oh, I've drunk ayahuasca. You haven't. And therefore, I am better than you, even though I'm so spiritual, but you're not. It's essentially the ego can sneakily take over and use the spiritual identity as the ego inflation. And that can happen very easily with ayahuasca. You see it quite a lot in ayahuasca circles, both in South America and North America. There's things like that. As you mentioned, there can be abuses, and we hear about that particularly in Latin America. So that can be a downside. But from a pure drinking ayahuasca in a safe setting with really qualified and skilled guides or shaman or curanderos, then yeah, there really aren't many downsides that I can think of. I still honestly don't get how the psychedelic plus this unique music that you guys were playing was able to do what it does. There's crystals and then there's like this magic spray that's supposed to kill the spirits and energies and like, (laughs) I don't know, what makes you believe it? Or do you believe it? Or is it more like, just in case? (laughs) (laughs) You're exaggerating a little bit on the killing of the spirits, but we'll roll with it. Shamanism is very, very, uh, in my experience, very pragmatic. And it's like, if it works, we'll do it. If we can provide an answer as to why it works, we will. But who gives a fuck? You know, if it works, it does. So I am shocked still when I work on someone and let's say they have a headache and I'm able to literally suck it out. And they're like, oh, I feel better. It's gone. I'm like, I don't know how it works. It's fun in that sense of just like, holy shit. Or if someone's starting to freak out a little bit, we go over and we start singing for them specifically for them. And sure enough, by the time the person who is taking care of them is done singing, that person is chilled out. The way we explain that stuff, ayahuasca is pushing the stuff to the surface and we're helping through the song. We're moving the process through faster. So we're not suppressing anything. You know, Western medicine does its best to suppress the symptoms. And we could look at this as these as symptoms of a deeper root problem and they're being pushed forth and then we help move that energy through. And so when you're talking about the Icaros, the Icaros, it's crazy, but they're a technology. When we sing the Icaros, we have medicine built up in our bodies through our practices that go beyond ayahuasca, through this thing called shamanic dieta that we talked about a little bit. And that charges our body up with medicine, literal medicine. We're like batteries. We've done all these practices and our body is full of medicine. And so when we sing, that is the way the medicine leaves our body and enters someone else. And then it interacts with the other person's body and the ayahuasca that they've drunk in their body such that it moves the medicine to do something, whatever is appropriate. And it's funny because we drink the medicine, facilitators drink the medicine, everybody in the room drinks the medicine. But it's this loop of we drink the medicine, the medicine tells us, the facilitators, what to sing and when such that it can go out and do what the medicine wants to do out in the participant's circle. So the medicine is essentially, we're drinking the medicine so that the medicine can use us as an instrument to deliver more medicine in an appropriate way, more specific way. It's this crazy loop. Well, it's weird because I'm so conditioned that medicine is in a bottle and it's white <laughs> or it's got a gummy taste, multivitamin. The fact that this is a psychedelic and it tastes like bitter raisins and it's strange is because it's just not common yet. But this right. is something that in certain areas or for many years is very common just not as mainstream. And so I think it's easy, including myself, to dismiss it right away. Like, oh, Mm -hmm. they're just partying. Or it's like, no, not even close. There is something special happening. 
do you um do you ever get tired of doing it you're like fuck dude i do not want to trip tonight i just want to watch netflix and like have a pizza <laughs> all the time <laughs> i think you and i have had conversations before i've wanted to quit on several occasions this work is not easy for those who out there who think it's just singing songs in a room with people and you're serving psychedelics you are sorely misinformed and it's hard there are nights where I'm just like, oh my God, I don't want to drink and I don't want to do this tonight. I'm so tired. Usually it's exhaustion. It's not because I don't love the medicine. Everyone on our team will tell you that even with our amount of experience, we still have our difficult nights where we have hard ceremonies, where we're working through stuff and we're taking care of other people at the same time. It's by no means an easy path. I don't recommend being a shaman as a career path to anyone. What keeps you going? Uh, I'm addicted to seeing people transform in a very short period of time. It's really cool. You are a situation that was amazing to watch. It got weird. It was concerning and kind of fun to see, okay, let's see how this works out. And sure enough, at the end of the retreat, you're doing great. Today, it seems like you continued. Enlightened. 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 That's right. <laughs> Well, that's a wrap. I hope you liked the episode. Stay tuned for parts three and four. In part three coming up soon, I'll be sharing my conversation with Billy Murphy of foreverjobless.com. This is my close friend, probably similar to you, who ran his own business, and then he started struggling about questions in life. What do I want to do next? What am I supposed to be doing? He participated in an ayahuasca ceremony, and it changed his life completely. Then the grand finale. Part four, I'll share the second half of my conversation with the shaman, Zach, who you heard today. This is where it gets absolutely crazy. If you like this episode, text a friend you love them. Yo, dog, let's go for a hike together. Have a super day. What's your favorite place to relax? <laughs> <laughs>